Hi, I'm Ryan McCool, the Director of Child and Family Services for Southside Behavioral Health, and you're listening to State of Mind. Today, we're joined by mental health professional Wesley Cook to discuss ways to positively impact the health of our local LGBTQ plus communities. Hi, Wes, and thank you for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Wes, I would love to know a little bit about you so that our listeners can uh, understand who they're listening to. Yeah. Um, my name is Wesley Cook. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am an MSW, so I'm a master's social worker. I graduated from Baylor University in May of 2021. Go Bears! Um, I currently am an outpatient counselor working towards my licensed clinical social work um, licensure at a nonprofit in Roanoke, Virginia. I am also a board member at the Roanoke Diversity Center. And I am a trans man who identifies as queer. So um, I do a lot of work within the community, but I am also a part of the community. Thank you again for being with us, Wesley. And as you indicated, you identify as queer. When did you first realize that you were queer? Well, there was a lot of different identities I had along the way. Um, I would first say that I always kind of knew that I was different. Um, I would say starting back when I was probably five, I remembered things that I just felt different. Um, I was born female. Um, my parents tried to dress me in a lot of female clothing and I really rejected that. So I presented as quite masculine. Um, I was always that like quote unquote tomboy. Um, but I remember kind of watching my friends say that they liked boys or like if they were a boy, if they liked girls. And I just really never understood that. Um, I remember watching, and I like to kind of bring this back to the TikTok things, um, that there's this TikTok going on right now where it's Taylor Swift and it's, uh, it's her song like Wildest Dreams. And it's all of these adults like having this, this realization of like, oh my God, I, that, that's what attraction was like when I was a kid. Um, and I would say that Miss Honey from Matilda, I remember watching her saying, oh my goodness, I think I'm gay, but I didn't have that word. <laughs> I was like, I have feelings for this woman. Um, so fast forward into high school, I learned what gay meant. I learned the term lesbian. And I had a couple softball coaches who identified um, as lesbians. And I really learned to understand what that meant. Um, they were very successful. They were very kind. Um, they were happy. They were living really good lives. And I was like, that's me, that's me. I like women. Um, so I, I came out as a lesbian in high school um, as a freshman. So that was like 2007. And that did not go super well with my family. Um, caused some difficulties with our relationship. But when I went to college, I would say 2012, 2013, um, I learned what the term transgender meant while I was sitting in a gender and women's studies class and like fire alarms went off in my head. Like everything was just ringing and the term resonated with me so much. It actually scared me a little bit. Um, I remember being really like, fearful that this is what I was and that something bad was going to happen. Um, but I processed it with some of my friends, with my therapist, um, even with some of my professors. And I found a lot of um, happiness in the fact that I had a word. So I came out as transgender when, when I was probably a sophomore or junior in college. And I, I came out to my mom um, after starting hormones. So I started uh, testosterone, 
which kind of changes what your body features are like. Um, I grew a beard, my voice got deeper, my muscles changed, those kind of things happen. So I took my mom for food. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to come out to my mom. It didn't go well last time. Um, I'm gonna take her to a public space where uh, she can't yell at me if we're in public because that will that would upset her. So I'm like, mom, let's go to Cheddar's. So I came out to my mom as transgender as um, over chicken tenders at Cheddar's. <laughs> um, maybe not my best choice, but it actually ended up being okay. <laughs> um, she is super supportive now. Um, she didn't understand then, but we worked through it. She asked some questions and and um, she she said she loved me. And that was probably the biggest thing that, that she could have said in that moment. You gave us a lot there about uh, your own experiences with uh, identifying as transgender and queer. I know there are an awful lot of other terms out there that uh, people use to identify themselves. Could you explore those with us a little bit and explain those? Absolutely. Um, I know that there are a lot of terms. I often call it uh, the alphabet soup because there are so many terms and they're ever changing. And as somebody who spends a lot of time in the community, I'm still learning new things, um, still learning new terms. So just know that they're always changing and I'm going to give you a few in what I call the alphabet soup I hear often. Uh, but there are a lot of others out there. Um, so we'll first start with lesbian. That is a term that is used for somebody who identifies as female and is attracted to other females. G stands for gay. Um, and that is a term that has kind of come about as an all-encompassing term. Historically, it was used for men who are sexually or romantically um, interested in men. But now anybody can kind of identify as gay. You could be a woman who likes women and still say you're gay. Um, another term is bisexual. That is somebody having uh, sexual or romantic relationships uh, with somebody of both genders. T stands for transgender. That's how I identify. Uh, that is somebody who was assigned one sex birth and has transitioned to another gender. So I was born female and I identified female at birth and now I identify as male. So I am transgender. Q is a term uh, which is a double term, um, queer and questioning. Q stands for queer, and that is a term that used to be seen as a derogatory statement, but it's kind of been reclaimed and used as an umbrella term. Queer can mean your gender identity, your sexuality. Um, it, it means that you're in the community without clicking a box. Q also stands for questioning. So that's used by a lot of youth or people new to the community. That is, hey, I know I'm part of this community and I'm questioning where exactly I am, but I'm here and I, I'm present. I stands for intersex. And that is a term that used to be called hermaphrodite. And that is now a derogatory term. So we don't want to use that one. But um, intersex stand means that you were born with chromosomes, gonads, um, or hormones of both sexes. So male and female. A stands for asexual. And that is a term for somebody who does not have a sexual attraction. They have romantic attractions, but they do not have a sexual attraction to someone. And P is another all-encompassing term, pansexual, that's kind of come about in the last 10 or so years. And that just means that you have an attraction sexually or romantically for anyone. Um, it doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter their identity. You love the person for the person. Thanks for giving us so much information about the terms. You mentioned in your first few statements about your own coming out experience. 
Um, can you give us a little bit more about your own personal experience and how that um, process went for you and uh, what it looked like? Yeah, so I like to remind people that coming out is different for every single person um, and that you don't just come out once. So I've come out a lot <laughs> in my life. Uh, I first came out as a lesbian, not just to my mom, but to my dad, to my grandparents, to my siblings, to everybody. And then fast forward a couple years, I had to come out. I didn't have to, but I chose to um, come out to everyone in my family about being a trans man, because it was very important that people got my pronouns right and my name right. Um, and that was really hard for a lot of my family. Um, I like to remind people that, you know, my mom gave me my birth name. Uh, my dad gave me my birth name and they've always known me by that. So when I changed my name to be Wes, that, that really resonated with me, but I did not involve my parents in that decision. Um, and that was really hard for some of my family was that this name that was sort of a family name was now gone and now I am now Wes. But in addition to coming out to my family and my friends and school, <laughs> I had to come out to my doctor's offices. I still have to come out today. I, I go to the gynecologist, I have to come out. They get very confused why I'm there. Um, the dermatologist, my primary care physician, if I go to the ER, all of those places, yes, this is on my driver's license, but this sex is on my health insurance. And it can get really confusing coming out and it, it can be uncomfortable at times. I also had to change my social security name and my driver's license name and my gender on my driver's license. So I had to come out to all of these people. And it wasn't like I was just saying, hey, my name is Wes and I'm trans. It was, hey, I have to get this paperwork done. And then them double checking why I'm getting it done. Um, I've had to come out at work to make sure before my name was changed that I could have the right email. So when we think about someone coming out, it, it's not just this one time thing coming out in spaces that are over and over and over again. But it's also important to remember that when people come out, it might not be out to everyone. So when I first came out, I wasn't out to every single person. I was out to a select few people and I asked them to keep that private. So if somebody comes out to you, know that it's a huge sign of trust and respect, but just to check in with them to see how confidential that is um, and know that you might not be the first person or the last person that they've come out to and, and it can get very exhausting. Sounds like an extremely um, difficult experience for some people's lives and, and you talk about the, the coming out process and I hear the term being outed um, used a lot in, in, in general discussions. Have you ever been outed so to speak by someone um, and, and how did that go? What, what, how did you feel with that? I have been outed. Um, I was outed as a trans man um, in my university. So I went to a women's university that it was really unsafe there to be a trans person. Um, I wasn't fearful for my life or my immediate safety, but I was fearful that I wouldn't be able to finish college when I wanted to. Um, and I had come out to a professor who was in the department that I was working with. And she told a whole classroom that I was trans. I'm guessing by accident. She, she used me as an example when she wasn't supposed to. So a whole class of people learned my identity when I wasn't ready to tell anyone. I, this was very early on into me coming out. And I was upset. I was worried that if I confronted her, my grades would plummet, those kind of things. So I ended up having 
to go to the department head. And I, I thankfully had the ability to follow a chain of command um, to keep myself safe. And I did. Um, so that is an example of like how I was outed once and it was like, okay, I had routes to take care of myself. But I also worked at as a line cook at Outback when I was in um, college. And I really love cooking. I really love that fast paced environment. But in kitchens, sometimes it's not safe for queer people or women. I worked around a lot of men. And one of my really good friends worked there and that he's the one who got the job. He knew my identity. Um, we hung out all the time. And then there was this man who was always on the line next to me. And I did not particularly like him. Um, he was he was always kind of mean to me and trying trying to figure out something about me. But he found me on Facebook and, through some mutual friends and he learned that I was trans. And he outed me to the entire restaurant and made it really unsafe for me. Um, people would look at me differently. I remember I was still binding at the time. Um, so people would try to look at my chest. They would try to follow me to the bathroom. They would, they would do some really weird things. And I remember confronting him and saying, hey man, like stop telling people it's weird. And he just proceeded to ask me really inappropriate questions. Um, he solicited me for sex multiple times. It was, it was a really uncomfortable space. So I went to HR and they pretty much told me they couldn't do anything because there was no actual harassment happening um, and I couldn't prove it. So I quit, um, I left that space, but I'm very privileged in that sense that I was able to leave and make sure I had another job. Um, I was able to keep myself safe with resources for my family. Um, and a lot of the times when that happens, when people don't feel safe anymore, it, it is a life or death. It is, uh, do I get to have a meal today? Do I get to go home? Um, so knowing that if you out somebody, it could have some really big repercussions. It sounds like in the coming up process, there's a lot of sort of reaching for supports and, and, and trust being placed in other people. Um, and you referenced the challenges you have with your own family. Um, can you explore what the relationship is like with your family now and the, the transition that has occurred over the years um, with their further understanding and, and how you've navigated that? Yeah, um, I will say now, my family is absolutely supportive. Um, I have two siblings, I have a brother and a sister who are also queer. Um, we, we're a little trifecta, we like to call ourselves. Um, but my mom is from Southern Louisiana. My family is very Cajun, very Creole, um, somewhat conservative on that side. And then my dad's side is um, definitely from the hills of West Virginia. So there aren't a lot of resources there either. And when I came out to them, they were supportive. I, I don't want to say that they weren't. When I came out as trans, they were supportive, very confused. They they didn't understand. They'd only seen trans people maybe on the media and only seen as bad. So it was a lot of unworking some of their preconceived notions of what trans people are. Um, but now my parents are some of my biggest supporters. My siblings are my best friends, and without them, I don't think my parents would be as accepting as they are. My, my siblings were the first ones to call me by my name, and they would correct people when they messed up, so I didn't have to. Um, but now my mom shows up to every event that I host that's in the LGBTQ community. 
Um, I remember one time she came to pick me up from my house and she was just crying. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Um, and she was like, I just saw this kid at the gas station. And I was like, okay. And she just starts crying. And she said he was crying. He said his mom kicked him out because he was gay and he needed gas to get to his dad's house a couple hours away. So I just hugged him and I filled up his gas tank and I fed him. And I, like, that is not the mom that I had when I was in high school. Um, so just the fact that my mom cares that much now is, is so big and I, I am very very lucky to have my family um, and I know a lot of people don't have that so I wish we could educate more families on how we can grow and how we can learn and be really really supportive. During the process of, of sort of understanding uh, this within your family were there any like major pivotal moments that really shifted the, the understanding with your mother or, or father? Mm -hmm. So, um, my mom, I remember in high school, um, when I came out to her, actually, she asked me because she, somebody had kind of outed me on my softball team. And I was like, well, don't ask questions that you don't want to know the answer to mom. Um, and I told her and she did not take that well. My stepdad told me that, uh, she had cried for about three days after I came out and, and things weren't going well when I was in high school. I wasn't allowed to take girls to prom. I wasn't. Um, I love to go on dates. My mom wouldn't meet any of my partners, but I remember she was about to fly down to Louisiana and I was maybe a senior in high school at this point and, and about to go to college. And I, I really, I really wanted a relationship with my mom. Um, and I gave her the book called Love Ellen, written by Ellen DeGeneres' mom. And I put a little post-it note on it, left it on the counter and I said, please read this because I had recently read it. And it, it talked a lot about how Ellen is from Louisiana. So I thought there was that nice connection there. Um, but how people can be in the LGBTQ plus community and be successful and kind um, and, can, and can be loved and are worthy of love. And my mom read it. Um, we've never talked about it, <laughs> uh, but I saw her bookmarks in it and things changed after that. She, she stopped asking me so many questions. She allowed me to have girlfriends over and things like that so that was a really big moment for us um it is just her ability to read that book it's awesome um as as you've gone through all of these experiences in life i mean i think that uh life is made of experiences and, and as a mental health practitioner you're sort of the the guidance for a lot of individuals that may be experiencing something like this um how has this impacted your mental health journey and, and your uh, provision of care to those in need? I became a social worker and, and wanted to seek doing outpatient therapy because of my own experiences in therapy. Um, I've had some pretty negative ones where I would go places um, to transition. You have to be diagnosed with gender identity disorder and um, be given letters before you can get hormones, before you can have surgeries and things like that. And I would go to find places to get the letters or just to seek care for my anxiety, for my depression, um, you know, school stress, work stress. And I, I would start talking about my identity, which is it's still a big piece of, of me. And I, I was turned away by therapists before. Um, I was told that I don't do that or I don't have any experience in that. And then they would just kind of in point in on my identity, which is very important to me, but not the only thing that I experience in life. So 
when I was experiencing those things, I, I realized that I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to be somebody in the community for the community. So I went to school and I started researching <laughs> um, and I, I decided that getting a master's in social work would be the best thing possible. Um, and my experiences allow me to see people through a different lens, through that intersectional lens and, and be gender affirming or uh, sexuality affirming. You talk about the, the, the obstacles that you faced in, in seeking mental health guidance and, and understanding of self. Are there other disparities that, that the LGBTQ community run into um, or experience throughout society? Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to read off some statistics um, that I got from the Williams Institute through UCLA. And these are specifically for Virginia that they found that 9% are unemployed. These are all LGBTQ people. 17% of LGBTQ people are uninsured. 27% are food insecure. And 21% are making less than 24,000. So that's just in Virginia. But nationally, they found that lesbian and gay individuals are two times more likely to use substances. 22% of LGBT adults live in poverty and 19% of transgender individuals report being refused a home just because of their identity. It's astounding. Um, can you give us a little bit more depth of understanding between the difference between gender and sex? Mm -hmm. I, I know I've touched on it a little bit back and forth, but gender is more of a societal um, description of how we are. I like to say that um, if everybody stops and thinks about how they would sit if they were a man, um, oftentimes we'll talk about man spreading, men take up a lot of space, they spread their legs, they slouch a little bit more. Um, again, these are very stereotypical, but a woman, if we ask you to sit like a woman, take a second, oftentimes people sit up, they take less space. Um, that is a very good way to look at gender and that expression. Um, men are told to do this, women are told to do this. On the other hand, sex is a male or female label given at birth. And that, that kind of goes off of chromosomes, hormones, and genitals. Uh, but remember that not everybody fits in that binary sex. Um, inter intersex individuals do exist and that they are often assigned one of the sexes at birth. You referenced the binary, the gender binary. Can you explain that a little bit deeper? Yeah. So. When we think about the gender binary, I want to remember that in US society that we see things very black and white as male and female. So that, that binary is the two. Um, you're either male or you're female, and there's no in between. Um, but in reality, we know that there's a lot of different genders and different sexes. It, it's not one or the other. And not just in today's age, but if we look back at indigenous cultures and a bunch of other cultures through society and through history, there are a lot more genders than just male and female. That makes sense. As we talk about gender identity and, and, and sex and um, affirming spaces, in, in, in employment these days, there's a lot of individuals placing pronouns in their email signatures or um, seeking to be um, in, expressing that in their general and or introduction to others. Can you tell me a little bit about what the purpose of that is, why that's valued, um, and how that impacted you? Yeah, 
as as a trans person, I really enjoy when people have pronouns on their emails. To me, it it reads as somebody who is accepting and that they have the knowledge of what gender is and how it can be different for other people. But I have an experience where I was living in DC. Um, I'd lived there for a couple of years. I'd left Roanoke, Virginia to live there. Uh, I was I was thinking about coming back, but I was afraid because DC has all of these great resources. Employers are often really accepting. I had a great place of employment there um, who worked with me in my transition. All of these amazing things, but I really wanted to come home. I missed my family and I was like, well, what what am I gonna do? Like, I've gotta find somewhere that, that's gonna love me to work there for me. And I was in, I was talking to a manager via email about setting up an interview. And I scrolled down to get her office phone number and I saw her pronouns at the end of the email and it said she, her, hers. And I just knew, I remember I was sitting in my car and it was raining um, and I has, was having a really bad day. And I remember reading her, her pronouns and was like, this is it. This is where I've got to go. She understands. So he interviewed, it went really well. I told her how much I appreciated her um, pronouns being on her email and she asked me mine. And, and that's just how simple it was. I still work there today. I've worked there for almost six years and um, I'm very thankful that I was able to see that. Now I have my pronouns on my email to impact somebody in the same way, whether it's a community partner, whether it's an employer, or if it's one of my clients, I want them to see that what my pronouns are because mine need to be respected, but also that I'm gonna respect theirs and I give them a platform to share theirs when they're ready. It sounds like there's an awful lot of resources out there and healthy supports that yeah, the simple things make a major difference. Um, as you as you recognize the need for supports and, and further understanding in the community, who are there out there that, that would help our youth build resiliency and, and, and grow as individuals? I, I do think that family is like that first point um, of support. And if we could educate and help parents along the way to support their, their kids or um, caregivers support the people that they're, they're giving care to, that would be the first step um, for the most impactful support. But if that's not an option, my first support was in school. I had a teacher, she wasn't even my teacher, she was just a teacher at the school who I knew was a gay woman. And I went to her for a lot of support. I went to her for questions that no one else would answer. And I think that in our school systems, teachers and school counselors are are that for so many people. Um, they're with our kids every day in a lot of ways. And having educated and supportive teachers is that first line if our parents can't be there. Sec second, I really think that therapists are really a good support. Um, I did not have a therapist when I was in high school, but when I was in college, I did. And through some of my transition, I didn't have great therapists, but I had one that was really helpful to me through college. Um, so having somebody who's gender affirmative and sexuality affirmative. Um, there's also a lot of research out there saying that school support groups, whether it's a GSA or a queer group or any sort of LGBTQ support group, friends and peers of our youth are just as important they can help one another in so many different ways. Um, and I say this next one with the grain of salt, knowing that our youth need someone to help navigate what safe internet looks like and what safe support groups look like online. 
but we do live in an age where online support is is a great resource. Um, there are a lot of Facebook groups out there specifically designated for LGBTQ youth. And also um, from my work with LGBTQ youth here in Roanoke, I've learned a lot about Discord groups, um, specifically for LGBTQ youth who might play video games or just wanna talk, talk back and forth. Um, I think that's a great resource as long as our kids have somebody to, to help discuss what safe internet practices are. Sounds like there's a lot of uh, growing resources out there for people, but as I, as I look at myself as a practitioner and the listeners that are, are, are uh, attending our, our podcast right now, how do I or we as individuals support the LGBTQ individuals and in, in, in the communities? I think the first thing is just being a, an ear to listen. Um, somebody who's compassionate, who's kind, who's caring, um, and really validating um, someone who's talking to you. If it's, a, hey, I had a really hard day because <laughs> I was scared to go to the bathroom. Like, I mean, I've had that conversation with coworkers. Um, I've had to ask a coworker for a tampon before, and that was really uncomfortable. Um, but their kindness of not asking questions. Okay, I got you. Um, and, and keep going forward. And then following up and making sure someone's okay. Um, but again, being that listening ear and letting that the person who you're working with or your, your client guide what, what supports they need. Um, and if someone comes out to you again, asking how confidential that is. Um, are you out here? Or are you out here? Is this just a me thing? And if it is just saying, okay, um, I will follow your lead. So again, being compassionate and kind, I think this is gonna get you the farthest. It seems to be an area that just never ending uh, knowledge is required um, and, and exposure to it and understanding. Um, how can we learn more about the LGBTQ community so that we can better help uh, support youth and, and other individuals in the need? Yeah, so I, I'm really thankful that I've been able to do so many trainings and do this podcast, but I, I can't be around all the time. So I like to give resources um, that are accessible online and on a, a bigger spectrum. So GLSEN, G-L-S-E-N, it's actually coming to like Southwest Virginia um, as an as a actual place, but it's online as well. Um, they do a lot of resourcing they have a lot of education out there you can learn a lot from their website and, and they're constantly updating what's happening uh, the trevor project is another great one they run statistics as well as have a chat line for you um, the hrc is another great resource they have a lot of terminology on their website they do statistics every few years for youth specifically um, they also do a lot of policy work. So if you want to help out with policies or learn what policies are federally um, in place for the LGBTQ population, that's a really great place to look. Um, Equality Virginia is another one that's more local to Virginia. And they do a lot of trainings. They have a lot of different programs. They can connect you to resources throughout the state, but they also um, have different programs for policy work. So they've worked really hard for our students and our schools for non-discrimination policies and things like that. So if you're interested in learning more about policy or, or helping implement policy, that's another great place to look. And lastly, I like to talk about the Trans Lifeline. It is the first transgender and um, gender non-conforming or gender uh, variant uh, hotline for people to contact when they're in crisis. So they're open 24 seven and you're always gonna be able to talk to somebody 
um, in the community. They, they can help provide some resourcing and some terminology, but that one is specifically for queer people. Thank you for those resources. Um, as we start to close out, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, um, well, first I wanna thank you for this opportunity and so many opportunities I've had to share my story and educate. But I really wanna say that one of my favorite things about myself is being queer. Um, it's hard, but to me, it's granted so many opportunities and experiences that I would have never had if I wasn't. Um, it, this is a community that I love and that I've met so many amazing people in. And we can sit and talk all day about these disparities that happen and how difficult it is to be queer. But there are also some really amazing stories that come out of it. Um, again, I, I love myself for being queer. It, 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 it started out really tough, but here I am talking to you all and um, experiencing life and, and meeting new people. So I don't want people to think that when they hear somebody is in the community, um, that their life only has to be hard. Um, there's some really beautiful things that come out of it. And I'm really appreciative for everything you guys are doing and um, hopefully meeting some other queer people out of this. Well, Wesley, thank you for being with us, um, sharing your knowledge and, and sharing your story. Uh, we really, really appreciate you spending time with us. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of State of Mind. We hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe so that we can join you again. And if you appreciate the show, please subscribe to our newsletter on our website at southsidebh.org to stay up to date on all the latest mental health news. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.